Chart Chat is a member of the Tiege.fm network from WTJU Radio. Find out more at Tiege.fm. That's T-E-E-J dot F-M. Hello, everybody. It's Monday, October 1st, 2018. I'm Tanner Green. And I'm Caitlin Flay. And you are listening to Chart Chat, your weekly guide to the past week of pop singles hitting the U.S. and U.K. charts. What's up, Caitlin? I just got over my cold that I got like three weeks ago. I'm feeling super happy because of Lana Del Rey. And that's a little foreshadowing there for you all. You're welcome. Oh, my goodness. As soon as I saw that, I I knew I knew what was coming. And I'm very excited for that wave of enthusiasm, especially because it'll offset the kind of bummer tracks I'm going to talk about. But let's outline what some of those bummer tracks are. Debuting over here in the U.S. at number 100, there's Noticed by Lil Mosey. Jimmy Allen debuts at number 97 with Best Shot. Debuting at number 96, there's Flip De Niro with his song Leave Me Alone. That was so rough. Really? That Flip De Niro, yeah. I really like that song a whole lot. I was not into the vocals. It has a very raspy voice, which I was... Oh, it's so raspy. I was into it. (laughs) Debuting at number 76, there's Black featuring J. Cole with their song Pretty Little Fears. A posthumous release from both Lil Peep and XXXTentacion. That's Falling Down, debuting at number 47. Khalid's Better debuts at number 45. Lil Uzi Vert debuts at number 38 with New Paddock. Debuting at number 30, there's Wake Up in the Sky by Gucci Mane, Bruno Mars, and Kodak Black. Debuting at number 28, there's Lil Baby and Gunna with their song Drip Too Hard. And as we mentioned on the past two episodes, finally debuting all the way up at number three, there's Eminem with Kill Shot. Caitlin, what you got? Over on the UK side, we begin at number 93, Dig Dat and his song Air Force. I almost picked this song and I would like to do a brief divergent uh, thing before reading you the rest of the debuts. It's a a metaphor or a lot of different metaphors about different drugs. And that's the reason why I didn't pick it because the more that I looked into the lyrics and what they actually meant and like the street language for it, I was like, oh, this is just about drugs. Okay, I thought like the beat is a really cool example of like new grime, post 2017 grime. However, we're not going there. Still check out the track in the playlist. Tanner's laughing at me. Um, Okay, number 91. We have a collaboration between David Guetta, BB Rexa, and Jay Balvin with Say My Name. At number 86, we have Black and J. Cole with Pretty Little Fears. At number 79, the one and only Lana Del Rey debuts with Mariner's Apartment Complex. At number 69, we have Lil Baby and Gunna with Drip Too Hard. 65, Gucci Mane, Bruno Mars, and Kodak Black debut with Wake Up in the Sky. Man, that I expected more from that song. Uh, and at number 57, we have 1975 with Sincerity is Scary, which I have to give them a shout out for being all of kind of the things Tanner and I detest about Sam Smith songs about the Backstreet Boys in general, and free jazz. Like, it's all of those things wrapped into one song. Uh, Definitely check it out. At number 44, finally, and our highest debut, which it was surprising to me, we have Khaled with Better. Tanner, I'm tossing it back to you. What you got for us? 
Before we get started over on the U.S. side of things, I do want to give a quick mention to Drip Too Hard. Caitlin was not a fan, but I was an extreme fan of that track, Lil Baby and Gunna. I'm particularly excited about Lil Baby. I think the song he did with Drake way back when, it was like a couple months ago, but that song was fantastic, and I think the song is fantastic, and I'm starting to think that just in general, Lil Baby is fantastic. But we're not talking about Lil Baby. We're not talking about Gunna. We are talking about Black featuring J. Cole. We're talking about Pretty Little Fears. This is a song from the Atlanta Musician's sophomore album titled, fittingly, East Atlanta Love Letter. This album debuted at number three on the Billboard 200, uh, which was a sizable jump from his 2016 debut album, which peaked only at number 34. And that kind of jump in chart position is the latest manifestation of Black's rising profile. So Black, if you go back to 2016, that was when he first broke into the mainstream. He had this track called Problems. Only peaked at number 72, but still went double platinum. This is a, a bone for you, Caitlin. Uh, uh, Kylie Jenner put the song in a Snapchat of hers. Yes. I don't know if you were familiar with that, but now you are. You're mm-hmm. welcome. Thank you. <laughs> but after that single, uh, he released kind of a string of singles over the course of 2017, and they, for the most part, failed to generate much chart action. But Black was still all over the place. Uh, he even earned a spot as the opening tour act for The weekend and Ray Shremmerd. And then this year... If you go back a couple months, I believe in April, he released OTW, which was a track he did with Khalid and Ty Dolla Sign. That reached number 57, which was a Hot 100 peak for Black. And while I'm not going to play any of OTW, it's important to keep that collaboration in mind as we listen to a clip of Pretty Little Fears, because it becomes apparent pretty quickly why Black would wind up working with artists like The Weeknd and Khalid. So once again, this is Pretty Little Fears. Girl, I'm from the east side. Mm-hmm. Girl, you on my best side. Then mm-hmm. she from the west side. Mm-hmm. Now I just wanna know. Don't you sugarcoat? I say it all if you want. And could you tell me like it is? Pretty little fears, music to my ears. I just wanna know, don't you sugarcoat? I say it all if you want. Now could you tell me like it is? Pretty little fears, music to my ears. I'm loving your light. Vulnerable, letting your guard down, it's honorable. Especially when the past ain't been that friendly to you, but there's magic in that. You the flower that I gotta protect and keep alive in the wintertime. Hey, don't you die yet. You've been way more than a friend of mine. We more like fam. I raised you, you raised me. Let's turn this whole life round. You can confide in me. I can take the weight up off your shoulder blades and try to store the pain. Of- At first blush, I think Black's music might be easy for some people to dismiss out of hand. Over the course of the decade in the wake of Drake's success and The Weeknd's as well, there's not really a shortage of sad R&B songs with a hip-hop undercurrent, and of course, judging by that clip, Black's music obviously slots kind of into that same mold. But I want to highlight one of the qualities in this track that I think really makes it stand out, for me at least, and that is its restraint. Black, based off of this and the rest of the album, East Atlanta Love Letter, is an artist who is plenty comfortable with a whole lot of space in his songs, both in his vocal lines and in his choice of beats. 
And I think all of that empty space really goes a long way to convey the romantic vulnerability that crops up in most of his lyrics. Admittedly, his lyrics, uh, his lyrics can sometimes be a little clumsy, in my opinion, but I think the sonics and the singing more than make up for that. So if you think back to the clip we just played, right at the start of the clip, you have these lines that's just sort of trail off into these hums, and there's a lot of space, a good couple seconds between some of those hums, but there's not any sort of a driving beat that fills up those in-between spaces. It's just this gentle pulse. There's that little bell in the background. And that pulse, for, for me at least, kind of sounds like rain a little bit. You know, these are sounds that have a very gentle attack. They're very soothing. And I think the restraint in this track is particularly evident if you compare it with another track from this week, that being Khalid's Better. And that's a song that relies on a much more aggressive beat. It's still a totally fine song. I, I, I'm somewhat fond of Better. But if you compare the two, it almost sounds like Khalid or his producers don't entirely trust audiences to stay engaged if they take their foot off the gas pedal. So on one hand, Khalid on that track is trying to aim for heartache and some sort of woundedness, but he's still being pushed along by this backing track. Whereas Black on this song on Pretty Little Fears doesn't have to worry about that. He lets the song breathe and that makes his lyrical content all the stronger. And if I may, similar to my praise for Meek Mill's EP a number of episodes ago, I want to take a moment to praise East Atlanta Love Letter in general. I have listened to this album a couple times since its release, and my first my first time listening to it was lying in bed with the lights off. Not because I was expecting anything grand, but just that was the next album up for me to listen to, and I was going to listen to it before bed, and it wound up being the absolute perfect time to listen to this album. The production throughout East Atlanta Love Letter is absolutely marvelous. I think it deserves a Grammy, maybe along with Scorpion, but at the very least it deserves a nomination because this commitment to subtlety, richness, and this intimacy is pervasive across the entire track, or across the entire album, rather. And it's funny, the only track on the album that kind of falters in this way is a track where Khalid shows up. <laughs> which is really bizarre. I forget the name of the track. It's like the the second to last track or something like that. But yeah, East Atlanta Love Letter is an album that's up there among my faves of the year and will very likely wind up on my uh, year-end album list, which probably will find its way into this podcast in some form. But needless to say, I'm very excited to hear more from Black in the future. Caitlin, what you thinking on this one? Yeah, I, I have a lot of thoughts, uh, but I think... I oh and that track was seasons by the way awesome like I I think I like that one then more than better but um I still have to listen through the whole East Atlanta love letter and I have some stuff to do this weekend so I'll definitely be able to get that done I'm excited I really appreciated the way that Black and J Cole's voices interacted and I have this vision that their voices are kind of like almost like swimming like in this track and it's really relaxing and they both sound like they're just not stressed in any way like yeah there's heartbreak in there but there's not a lot of effort in their raps 
your comment about it being kind of aqueous is interesting to think about because it's watery sounding, but it's not watery in a way that sounds murky. Mm-hmm. It's watery in a way that sounds very clear, very crystal, very stark. And I think that ties in with the composure yeah. that you're talking about there. Now let's move to a track that is perhaps the polar opposite of composure. Gosh. We're going to talk about New Paddock by Lil Uzi Vert. Lil Uzi Vert is no stranger, or rather his music is no stranger, to Caitlin or I. Both of us, I believe I can speak for the two of us, have a great deal of fondness for him. I wish he wasn't a stranger to us, but, you know, we can dream. <laughs> Goals. We'll start tweeting at him, start a campaign, start a hashtag. But the two of us are also uh, particularly fond of his signature song, Exo Tour Life. Love, 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 love. But New Paddock is the lead single from Uzi's upcoming album, which uh, seems to be titled Eternal Atake? A take? I'm not entirely sure which is which, which pronunciation is the correct one. But when he revealed this presumed title for his upcoming album, he also revealed the intended cover art, which caused a bit of a, a, a bit of a hubbub. The presumed album title borrows heavily from the imagery of the Heaven's Gate cult, uh, which was famous for the mass suicide of... I want to say 30 people or so in the late 90s. And since releasing that cover art, Uzi is being threatened with copyright infringement by two surviving members of the cult. And after that threat, he released an alternate cover that might wind up being the one for the album where it's him as an anime character, but he's still wearing a t-shirt that has that keyhole rainbow imagery that is associated with Heaven's Gate. It's bizarre. How do you copyright, like, a suicide event? Well, there was a a broader religious cultish organization associated with it, and presumably they have the copyright to that in their materials. Sure they do. Sure they do. Fortunately, fortunately, Heaven's Gate is not a topic that I'm particularly familiar with and don't entirely wish to be, but apparently Uzi does, or at least wants to evoke that. It's kind of an unsurprising move for him. You know what? It isn't an unsurprising move for him because this video went viral a couple weeks ago and I almost made uh, the headline my cover photo on Facebook, but uh, a fan threw a Bible at Lil Uzi Vert during a concert and he kind of like laughed about it and was like, oh, okay, that's funny. It could be in response to that. Who knows? There's that. There's the imagery that has shown up in a bunch of his music videos. He seems like someone who likes to invoke that sort of imagery to cause a stir, cause some sort of a flap to get people's goat. It's sort of reminiscent of, you know, shock tactics of punk rockers in the late 70s or something like that. Sure. But with all that being said, I'm hoping I didn't kind of poison the well in terms of the song for you listeners. Uh, Let's listen to a clip. Once again, this is Lil Uzi Vert with New Paddock. Why? Hit the shower, you might stay. Hello. Bag it on my grate. Uh, it's seven. 
Tell me, little boy, if it's beef, I get to chop an ish up like it's prime and treat you like Optimus. <sighs> get it? Op- op- prime like beef, but prime like Optimus Prime. Uh, I love that pun so much, and I really do not care about Transformers at all, but it's a really good line. But that's sort of tangential to what I want to talk about with the song, which isn't entirely evident from a clip that we can play for you. And that's the length of the song. It is almost six minutes long it's like five minutes 47 seconds or something like that i'll be honest i stopped i was almost forced to stop paying attention by his voice at about 145 through all of the listens of this song like consistently that is where my attention dropped off (laughs) sorry tanner Uh, can you can no can you put your finger on why your attention dropped off there uh, he starts slurring his words together and I don't know what he's saying. And since I'm a lyrical person, like I focus on lyrics, I'm like, okay, now I got this beat and I'm I'm good. Good little. Caitlin's not into the mumble rap. Yeah. No, nope. call me Eminem and shove me in a closet. <laughs> oh my goodness. That's pretty good. But in addition to the length, you've also got a really unconventional start and end to the song. The song starts with Uzi kind of muttering lyrics under his breath. And then the song starts. And then the conclusion of the song is this sort of out of nowhere fade out. But it doesn't just fade out. It fades out to him again, just kind of mumbling. Yeah, that's it. And then and then the song's over. So you have a incredibly long song that starts and ends strangely. And as you could tell by that clip, it's like Uzi is just yammering constantly in this sort of stream of consciousness, like the borders of like between verse and chorus, like there's technically a verse and a refrain, but the borders between them feel kind of nebulous, like they just kind of crash into each other and keep going while Uzi sounds metaphorically and literally breathless. He doesn't entirely... He doesn't switch up his pitch contour all that often, and he sometimes repeats the same line a good couple times. The uh, the first example I can think of is the, Frank Mueller may be proud of my wrist, Frank Mueller may be proud of my wrist, and just kind of hammers into that. Caitlin's got a face. What's up? Yeah, and my face is the shot taken at me about not liking mumble rap, which is kind of true. Like I'm not a huge fan of it, but Lil Uzi Vert manages... Uh- <laughs> Sorry. No, do it. Lil Uzi Vert manages not only to mumble, but also to strain. Yes. And I don't know if that's something that I'm totally like cool with in my own personal like music taste. I, I don't like singing like that. Like, Have you ever sung along to a song in the car and you, you kind of notice you don't sound that great and you're like, ah, I'm done. I'm done with music. But you want to push through it at the same time, and then your voice just kind of gets, yep. Yeah, it gets caught in your throat a little bit, and that's like Lil Uzi's dominant tone in this song. Yeah, which Caitlin is not into, but I am so, so into, especially <laughs> if you're going to make a song that is this repetitive and just kind of bludgeons you over the head, you might as well go to like 110%. Make it a six-minute long song that just keeps going and going and going and going, and has this 
sort of monomaniacal obsession with wristwatches. You know, there are plenty of songs in hip hop about wristwatches, so it's a common topic, but you have this lyrical obsession for six minutes with this hyper repetitive vocal delivery. And then what do you have in the background? What's the sample kind of underpinning this beat? It's this mournful like harp and, and keys sort of descent. You might ask yourself where that sample comes from. And funnily enough, that doubles back to anime. I mentioned earlier that the alternate cover for Uzi's upcoming album features the rapper as a anime boy with the t-shirt referencing Heaven's Gate, which itself is sort of a lot to take in. But the sample that this track is based off of comes from the soundtrack of a 2015 anime called Death Parade, which from what I could tell is a a show that is very preoccupied not only with death, but the, the supernatural in general. So again, very on brand for Lil Uzi Vert. And so we're going to listen to like the first 25 seconds or so of that track. Uh, it's the track from the soundtrack that has the same name as the anime. Uh, once again, Death Parade. So I don't have a clue what this anime is about, but for listeners that are interested, I'd actually recommend checking out the full the full track on YouTube. It's it's quite beautiful. But wrapping things up over here, there's something about the best of Uzi's music that is very bittersweet for me. And it combines conflicting emotions in a way that I find incredibly memorable. And in the case of this song, it is this boasting about his wrist combined with the sort of unsettling and almost tragic repetition and sample. But Caitlin, I know you are less into this, so I'm excited to hear what you think. Yeah, I my immediate reaction to this song after the first listen was, I'm not going to stop getting excited when I see Lil Uzi Vert releases. This one was disappointing, I'd say, uh, as maybe Killshot was disappointing for you, Tanner. Um, I'm kind of seeing, especially with Lil Uzi Vert's career, this kind of maybe obsession with noise. Like, he, at many points during this track, I feel like it just devolved into noise, which is kind of cool, a cool thing, but man, I, I just am not ready for it when it comes to a big name like Lil Uzi Vert. Got to bring out the internet weird, or at least a little taste of it to the pop charts. Exactly. Caitlin, you've been waiting. You've been biding your time. Would you like to talk about Alana Del Rey? Yes. Oh my gosh. It's a happy week when Lana Del Rey is in the charts. Tanner, also feel free to interrupt me and share at any point because we're going to do a very deep dive into possibly the psyche of Lana Del Rey. Don't be scared, dear listeners. Don't turn off the podcast. I'm scared. Do not be afraid. Let's talk about Elizabeth Grant, also known as Lana Del Rey. Chart-wise, she's had nine UK top 40 hits in the span of her 13-ish year career. Those include the songs Video Games, Born to Die, and a remix of Summertime Sadness. That was the highest of those entries at number four. So she's done pretty well for herself. Uh, Album-wise, her chart showing isn't too shabby either. All of her albums, with the exception of her self-titled debut album, occupied 
either the first or second spot on the UK and US charts. So moving kind of quickly through this, she doesn't really need an introduction. I'm going to give myself a shout out real quick for writing a very extensive, (laughs) well-written paper about her and the many dramas that surround her character and music. But she really stands out among pop stars today for kind of exuding and embracing this weird, uncomfortable, sad girliness. So not that much has changed in terms of those descriptive words I just used in Mariner's Apartment Complex, the song we're about to hear. I'm the board, the lightning, the thunder, kind of girl who's gonna make you wonder who you are and who you've been. And who I've been is with you on these beaches, your Venice, your diehard, your weakness. Maybe I could save you from your sins. So kiss the sky and whisper to Jesus My, 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 you found this, you need this Take a deep breath, baby, let me in You lose your way, just take my hand You're lost at sea, then I'll command your boat to me So that was Mariner's Apartment Complex, the lead single of Lana Del Rey's sixth studio album, although there are rumors that it is actually just an LP. Uh, The title right now is Norman Effing Rockwell. Can't say those words on this podcast. And the song was released on September 12th. The album's expected to drop sometime next year, and given that Lana Del Rey has released the second single from this album or LP, I'd say we could probably expect it sooner rather than later, which is kind of exciting for people like me. This song is produced by the one and only Jack Antonoff. It's the first time the two have collaborated, which kind of surprised me because he's all over the pop world, and I thought Lana Del Rey would have kind of dipped her foot in that pot a little bit sooner. Uh, And Antonoff, of course, is famous for working extensively with people like Lord and Taylor Swift. So I think Lana Del Rey has done two very different things here. One, she's gone back in time instrumentally to the ultraviolence days. And two, she's moved past this kind of sad, depressive, uncomfortable girliness at this point in her career. That could be for a variety of reasons, but I want to jump into the instrumentals first. So the song opens with Some really ambient string synth that it sounds forced. Piano, maybe keyboard, a little bit of acoustic guitar. You can almost just hear the strings rattling at first, which is kind of cool. And then it comes in with the first verse. I think one of the things that makes the chorus very powerful in this song is the muffled snare that comes in only in the chorus. So we kind of do this Lana Del Rey thing where a lot of her tracks do not use percussion just because they're kind of floaty and sad core and whatever you else you want to call it. So she makes this move here with all of these acoustic kind of sounding instruments 
Her vocals kind of sound like Fleetwood Mac a little bit, so I automatically take a throwback in time, but comparing it to her other output is also kind of interesting. It reminds me a lot, this intro in particular, and percussion effect. Reminds me of Shades of Cool, Pretty When You Cry, and it's just this thing where Lana will get into songs, wait a couple minutes, and then drums are added, which is totally not a thing that successful pop songs do in the 21st century. Vocally, like I was saying before, Lana Del Rey goes super clean here. She's very close to the mic in this. She almost whispers the lyrics. And she's known for doing two things to her vocals, which Eminem probably wouldn't like either. She's known for adding a lot of echo, as well as a lot of distance. So a lot of times it sounds as if she's singing in an empty warehouse. Or like she's not even human because of the amount of echo and harmonies that she kind of throws over that you're kind of lost in where's the lead vocals here. So there's also no straining in this song. The high point, the kind of climax, if you will, are the lyrics in the chorus, don't look too far right where you are, that's where I am. And she moves through it very easily, so it doesn't feel like a climax, it's the loudest that the vocals really get. I think if we're taking Ultraviolence, one of the earliest successful albums, that's her second album, kind of as a compare-contrast here, she sounds so nasally, and there's literally echo effect on every single song. Every single vocal in every single song. I listened last night. This gave me an excuse. And I was like, oh my gosh, are you kidding me? Ultraviolence. Like, it's high and bad, and like, I love it. Don't get me wrong, but... Trying to sing along to it is a nightmare. The last thing I want to do instrumentally is the song's intro. So I'm going to play for you first the intro to Mariner's Apartment Complex. that in your ears and here is the intro to the title track from Lana Del Rey's 2014 album Ultraviolence. The two are obviously quite different. We're missing the guitar in the ultraviolence intro, and it feels like comparing the two makes me want to say that she's just trying to fill that space and not make room for herself, her own voice, which I find kind of interesting, and that might be another paper. Hmm. And it also might be a segue into the point I'm trying to make about Lana Del Rey's maturing character. The lyrics in the first verse cut me so deep and I was like oh man this is what I argue to all my friends that say you're such a happy person why do you listen to Lana Del Rey every day and I respond because it's not it doesn't make me depressed I don't I don't understand that argument but a lot of people make it about Lana Del Rey's music in general like it's not good for people to listen to because it will make you depressed I I don't agree with the argument but that's okay 
So the lyrics in the first verse, you took my sadness out of context at the Mariner's apartment complex. I ain't no candle in the wind. I'm the board, the lightning, the thunder kind of girl who's going to make you wonder who you are and who you've been. That's the whole first verse. You took my sadness out of context, should have stuck out and did stick out to me. Another beginning line for a verse in this song, they mistook my kindness for weakness. It's all of these kind of accusatory statements that just are kind of, they're powerful to me, especially comparing it to her previous kind of subservient, sexually charged kind of 1960s girly values. So we can put that kind of in the closet. And then at the end of the chorus, she sings, I'm your man. It's very odd. Yeah, like Sailor. I don't know. T- Tanner just like showed his guns. Um, there are no guns. Yeah, th- there are, they do not exist. They're water guns. <laughs> the more I listen to this song and the more I think about the song's overall message... It sounds like it's to people that, like the haters, the people that haven't really liked Lana Del Rey's music because of her sadness or her, you know, 1960s girl group values and attitude. But here she's kind of claiming that she's the opposite of those things. Strong, not pathetic, not sad. Like she's made us think she is maybe because it's a character. If I may, I was doing a little bit of digging while you were laying out the the rich Lana lore for us. So she was on BBC Radio 1 introducing the song, and apparently this is what she said about the background of the song. Quote, The song is about the time I took a walk late at night with a guy I was seeing, and we stopped in front of his friend's apartment complex, and he put his hand around my shoulder and he said, I think we're together because we're both similar, like we're both really messed up. And I thought it was the saddest thing I'd ever heard. And I said, I'm not sad. I didn't know that's why you thought you were relating to me on that level. I'm actually doing pretty good. And he was upset, and that's when I wrote the song. Yo, see Flay with the good call. Oh, man. <laughs> I feel validated. Okay. Vindicated. Tanner, thank you for sharing that. So maybe shocking to you, dear listeners, and shocking to Lana Del Rey's ex-guy friend. She's not as sad as she, we think she is. Cool. She's doing okay. She's doing all right. Uh, just to kind of close up here... I also think the fact that I can't really detect Antonoff's musical influence here makes me believe those things even more. And kind of rather than a one-off, this fits into what Lana Del Rey has been doing on the fringes of this release with Cat Powers. They released a track titled Woman, and that had a lot of kind of almost Stevie Nicks type of vibes. It was kind of cool. And you can check that out on Spotify. But Lana Del Rey seems more comfortable in her own skin. Her music has space to breathe, and I can sing along to it easier, so I'm all for it. Yeah, coming to this song with basically no experience with Lana Del Rey, I remember video games way back when. I liked that. I saw the infamous SNL performance. That, <laughs> yeah, exactly. From her early days. Uh but that was about it. I, I, I have a lot of friends who are really into Lana Del Rey, but I had not listened to a lot of her stuff. And I was into this. I, like you mentioned, it's a very gradual song that takes its time. And one of the things that was the most striking to me was how beautiful the harmonies right before the chorus start. 
those harmonies are gorgeous and they have this kind of faded quality to them. And what I think is especially interesting is how they kind of pave the way for the way her voice sounds during the chorus. Her voice sounds a little muffled to me. Some of the high frequencies are taken off. And so there's this very warm, it's a very warm sounding vocal tone that again, similar to what you were saying with reminding you of Stevie Nicks, the 70s, etc. It very much gives me that sort of 1970s singer-songwriter heyday in a way that I'm into. It was a, it was it was a, it was a nice listen. I was I was and like you mentioned the uh the opening the opening two lines are great. So while Lana Del Rey was close in our running for pick of the week, she unfortunately came second place, much to Caitlin's heartbreak. No, it was actually it was actually a fairly unanimous decision. Yeah. Are I say fairly as if there were other people that could disagree. <laughs> Our pick of the week is Black, featuring J. Cole. Our pick of the week is Pretty Little Fears. Anything else you want to say about this track and why we are giving it the highest honors? Yes, of course. So I promise that I'm going to get down off this Lana Del Rey high horse as soon as possible. But this backing track could totally be a Lana Del Rey backing track. Listen to Honeymoon. Listen to Lust for Life. In Lust for Life, she collaborates with people like The Weeknd, ASAP Rocky, and they're a little bit more hip-hop oriented, which is cool. Okay, I'm off the Lana Del Rey high horse. You're welcome. Something that I find so menacing and awesome about this song is the bell that Tanner talked about earlier. It's pitched to F sharp, and I totally dig it. It reminds me of French Romantic era composer Hector Berlioz. He wrote this opium-induced masterpiece called Symphony Fantastique, and particularly the final movement called like A Dream of the Witch's Sabbath or something. It uses this bell, and it's just bong, 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 bong. And those are more like, I think, F natural and C or G and C. Anyway, um, it reminded me of that, and... It was, it kind of made me a little bit more on edge than I expected to be and that I was in future listens, which is cool. But first time, totally caught me off guard. And again, it's so calm. It's really cool. Lyrically at the start, I thought it would be a little bit raunchy. Like the line, would you let me hit it thrice if I asked today was, I was like, oh, interesting. Okay, that's cool. And then it kind of got sweet. Like J. Cole kind of thanking God for his wife and I guess maybe trying to apologize for the media calling him a cheater and stuff like that. And, you know, I can't imagine what it's like to be in a relationship with someone who gets their name dragged through the mud for whether it's valid reasons or not. At one point, I think Cole compares himself to a dog whose ears perk up at the sound of her name. And it's like, that's really sweet. That's really cute. Yeah. It's endearing. It's charming. And it's very sensitive and nice. And with that, we would like to thank you very much for listening to Chart Chat, where we tell it like it is. If you'd like to listen to all of this past week's chart debuts, you can find a Spotify playlist in our show notes. And if you have any questions, feedback, or corrections, you can get in touch with us via email at chartchatcast at gmail.com. Also, if you're interested in following us on social media, you can find us on Twitter and Instagram at ChartChatCast. Also, if you would like to leave us a little thank you for all of the helpful pop music tips we provide you, conversation starters with your friends, drop us a review. We'd appreciate it. 
Char Chat's intro theme was written by Peter Kelly and our cover art made by Billy Phillips, both from Coronation Media. Coronation Media is a creative studio specializing in video production, animation, and graphic design. To learn what they can do for your company or organization, visit www.coronationmedia.com. CharChat is also a member of the Teej.fm network from WTJU Radio. To learn more, visit Teej.fm. That's T-E-E-J dot F-M. Thanks again for listening to CharChat, everybody. I'm Caitlin. And I'm Tanner. And we'll catch you next week. She know my state nothing but magic, bay. I be swinging it back and forth to you and your casket, babe. Mm-hmm. Girl, you on my best side, mm-hmm. That she from the west side, mm-hmm. wanna know don't you sugarcoat i say it all if you want and could you tell me like it is pretty little fears use it to my ears